welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the new Diablo game. Before we do the Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, it's pretty simple. We like to talk about games. And this is maybe a return to form after like 80 billion years. Okay. <laughs> after 80 billion years. Of fucking Fast and Furious movies. Finally, we're getting into the good stuff. We're talking about a new, big, AAA release. We're talking about Diablo. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty... I don't know. I'm excited to get into it. This is like... I don't know. This is maybe the most excited for, like, a game I have been in a long time. Yeah. So, just, just to give you a little bit of perspective, I'll talk about this more in the back half. But um, uh, my weekend was split between this game and Street Fighter Six. Which came oh, out yeah, at true. the same time. Technically, Diablo 4 released 18 minutes ago. Um, but we both obviously paid for the four days of early access or whatever. Um, uh, which, uh, uh, in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have that way. I could have spent more time with Street Fighter 6. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so, actually, maybe that's a good place to start. How do you feel about this kind of... I feel like it's a trend now of... Paying for like an upgraded version to get a couple days of early access. How do you feel? About so the that? thing, the, yeah. So the question for me was whether or not I was going to do the battle pass, right? The upgraded version came with the battle pass, and right. I was like, okay. Well, if you know, if the answer is I'm going to do the battle pass, um, then that's a good deal, right? The four days is essentially free, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> just like kind of an upside. Um, but if I was unsure about doing the battle pass, I, I would have skipped it. Um, obviously, we were doing this for the cast. Um, and when you pitched it, I was like, oh, I didn't think about it. But yeah, sure, I'll, I will do that for the cast. But I think in general, I would have done it any, anyway. Because, you know, one of my things about these battle passes is I like to kind of make this decision right at the start, right? Right at the beginning to go, oh, yes, I want to do this, right? Um so, yeah, that was kind of my, I don't know, that was kind of my approach to things. Yeah, so I, did you go for the middle tier? I went for the middle mm -hmm. tier. Yeah. yeah, I did not go for that insane. I, you know, the cosmetics and stuff, um, I care a little bit about that. There are some times where you can win me over with that stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example of that. Uh, for me, it's like, for WoW, right? It's like, I'm probably going to be playing for six months, and you'll get me to upgrade to the six-month subscription to get the cosmetics associated with that. Yeah, or I have bought collector's editions of, of uh, certain WoW expansions because I like the collector's edition mounts that come with them. It's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I wanted the the Battle for Azeroth Raptor, the Kul Tiran, um, whatever, the, the horse, right, with the like regalia the like admiral's regalia um and because i i was on board with all of that stuff uh you know it was easy for me to sort of like pick up that version of the game um but you know in general i don't think i i, I wouldn't have paid money i would not have paid an extra 10 or 20 dollars in order to get four days of uh you know uh a head start yeah no i i think i generally agree with you on on that right like for me it was kind of like I will try the first battle pass, and if it sucks, so, you know, I won't get the second one, right? Unfortunately, I'm in a position to be able to afford that and it not be an issue. Um, uh, in general, I guess I don't really have, like, a, I don't know. It, it just feels kind of weird that essentially, like, you know, you pay $10 more and you get, like, you know, the game, the game, the game released effectively, like, if you... They call it four days of early access, but the game really released last Friday, right? Like, you know, yeah. um, and everybody else just had to wait four days. Um, I don't know. 
It, feel, it feels a little weird to me, but not so weird that I'm mad about it, if that makes sense. Um, also, it's not like... Like, yes, like Battle Pass hasn't started yet, um, or maybe it has in the past 20 minutes, but it, it didn't start with the, with the early access release or whatever it was. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how, I, uh, how I feel about it so much. Um, again, like, I, I'm not mad about it. It just, it just feels kind of, kind of a, it feels a little bit dirty to me, um, but just a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, it is complicated because, um, you know, something that f something that like wow people would talk about sometimes is the danger of FOMO, right? Yeah. Um, which is this idea that like if you make something unequal, um, you you kind of run this risk, shall we say, um, of inducing FOMO in your audience, and that's like a really like poor, unfun way to design or, sure. or, or make your, your title. Um, and I think I am on board with that a little bit. Um, but I also think, uh, that it sort of doesn't matter. Right. And that that's kind of like made up bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I think the thing you're, you're pointing at, I, I think I generally agree with you is that like FOMO is a real thing, right? Like FOMO. Yeah. I mean, most famously FOMO, uh, is a term that like really got in popularity a couple of years ago around like one of the crypto booms, right? Like buying it at the last minute and then like losing a bunch of money because of FOMO or whatever, which is like yep. the, the most pernicious version of this, right? Um, but like F FOMO is a real thing. It's just how much of it is okay, right? Like, mm -hmm. like obviously with something like like uh, an investment, um, crypto or stock or otherwise, right? Like that that's like that's not something somebody did on purpose, but um, with something like. Uh, like um uh generally um but like it but something like like this right like there there is like a trade-off there right like something like the 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 titles like the the big patch title like um aotc ksm right yeah yeah or i was thinking of like the pathfinder one at the end of the last expansion right like that's a lot of like there is some fomo there but like there's also value there right like that you bother mm -hmm. to do the content within the allotted time frame right so um, that's generally seen as like an acceptable trade-off, right? Um, and to that end, I think in, in terms of this, right, this this four days of early access didn't have a lot of FOMO to it outside. Like, it's just kind of like you get to play the game a couple of days early, right? Like, like I said, Battle Pass isn't running. It's not like there's some time-gated thing um, other than like, you know, maybe like of like in 10 years, Blizzard takes the service offline, right? But like, that's like not a thing you're thinking about when you do this. Um so, um, from that perspective, I think it's it's uh, it's 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 less of a problem. Um, yeah, I also think, and this is something that I don't know if it's a real consideration, but it occurred to me. I also think that it's a really clever way to split your player base on launch. Right? Oh yeah, and basically say only half of you can do this can can assault these servers at the same time. I we are sitting down to record the podcast, right? Because we've had four days to play Diablo, right? Um, I'm not, it's not like I'm itching to do it, right? But I have friends who have been waiting for this moment and they just all logged in and logged on to Diablo to make their Diablo characters because for them, this is the launch moment, right? Yeah. But I think that that's, that's a reasonably clever way to sort of miss align the the natural tendency which is to just like link all of your players together and 
assault the servers with this huge, huge influx uh, that will kind of never be seen again. V very famously, at the launch of Diablo 3, Era 37 yeah. was a thing, right? Like, um, it was kind of one of the, the first kind of big servers destroyed at launch games uh, type, type things that happened, especially since it was like the first online uh, required Diablo game. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the drama surrounding that versus the drama, the lack of drama surrounding this, I think is actually really notable. Yeah. Um, I You know, I titled my announcement The Return of Blizzard Polish, um, just kind of because it has been a while since I felt like I this is the kind of game that people sort of expect out of Blizzard. Like, obviously, there's a lot of damage that's happened to that brand over yeah. the years, right? Right. Um, but when I think about, like, the release of StarCraft II, right, this is sort of the same thing that I felt. Um, or even the release of, like, really, uh, like, hype WoW expansions, right? Um, Legion would be a good example of one. Um, honestly, but most WoW expansions these days tend to be, like, pretty, like, just, like, good uh, in terms of technical proficiencies, right? To, you know, are they just kind of, like, getting things right or whatever? Um, but just the level of polish in Diablo 3 is really impressive to me. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's something that, that I... Uh, Stood out, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, let's get into it, right? Enough, enough metatextual sure. commentary about yeah. the nature of purchasing the game. Um, uh, so what are your, what are your impressions? Um, we, we spoke briefly before the started. We're both about halfway through Act 3, or I don't know. I guess I could, we could be more than that, but um, because I don't know where Act 3 ends. But we're partway through Act 3. Um, yeah, do you know how many acts there are? Are there six? I... I don't know, but I saw that one of my friends had gotten the achievement for finishing Act Five yesterday. So okay, um, yeah, I definitely know there are at least five. But yet, but the, yesterday I saw someone ask how many chapters are there in Diablo, and somebody answered six. And I was like, do they mean acts? Yeah, but, I mean, chap, chap, I, they might be called. I, they might be called chapters in this in this game, um, because I think. Like, the first three chapters you can kind of do from the get-go, right? Like, after you do the yep. opening thing, you get access to all three. Um, I'm actually curious. Did you um, did you run to the uh, to, to get your class feature um, mm -mm. at level 15? No, I took me. I did all of Act 1 sort of, you know, back-to-back. -back. I didn't even know about, to be honest, the, the Barbarian thing. And then I got I – th I think I saw, like, a, like a piece of um, – What's it called? Text like you know, like I saw like a tooltip or not not a tooltip, but like a tip screen thing. Yeah, that was like starting at level fifteen. Barbarians can get their quest. I was like, oh, what the fuck is that? And then I like looked in my journal and I saw the quest for it, and I was like, oh, well, let, well, let me go do this, right? Um, and so I went and I did that, and then I went back and I did Act Two. Yeah, so funnily enough, I basically did the same thing, but I did it on purpose, where I'm like, I'll get it, like. I'll get in that, like, because I thought that was, like, the start of Act 2 when I would get that. And then, like, when I hit the start of Act 2, I'm like, I still never, like, I'll just fucking run over here. I think, luckily for Barbarians, most of that feature is kind of unlocked immediately, yeah. right? Like, um, <coughs> you just kind of get to pick the bonus one with the, uh, with, with, with the class feature, whereas I think the other classes are a little bit more involved. 
um, which is I remember from the beta. Fun fun facts for the audience: we're both playing Barbarians, so we can't really talk about any of the. Yeah, other I had intended to spend time last night uh, playing uh, something else. Uh, I was like, I'm gonna just like put a couple levels into Sorcerer, just so I can you know kind of like cross, you know, have 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 a little extra perspective. Um, but. I didn't do that. I just played more Barbarian. I just sat and I listened to a video and I ran a dungeon. I, I like just happened to run past a dungeon. I was like, you know what? I would rather fucking do this. <laughs> and like th that is maybe the best. This honestly maybe the best thing that has felt good about about Diablo is just like the freedom to just sort of do whatever I want and have so much to explore and experience at any individual kind of moment, right? Like if I want to chase down story quests, which has generally been my focus, right? Most of the time I'm, I am running down story quests, but every once in a while, you know, like I'll run past a dungeon. I ran past a, a stronghold and I did a stronghold, which was really hard actually. Um, I probably, I, I actually bankrupted myself. I spent all of my gold on repairs because I was doing the stronghold at level 23 and the stronghold was built for like level 27 or something. I was like just a little under, but I was like, I can get there. I can get there kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and I just kept dying. The boss was hard. The final boss was really hard and I kept dying. And, uh, and I eventually had less than a thousand gold and I couldn't repair. And I had a thing that i all of my stuff was like, you're the next time you die, you're gonna your your stuff will be broken. I was like, I don't even know what do I do at that point, right? Uh, but I killed the boss and I got a bunch of money and I, I repaired and it was fine. Um, but so that's kind of been my approach. Like, have you been just hardlining the story? Are you doing some of these events and map quests, like stuff like that? So I do events sometimes when I run past them. I do sellers when I walk past sellers, just because I mm -hmm. think like that, that. That I think was a good formalization. Um, this was like a thing that kind of appeared in Diablo through like there'd be doors to sellers and there'd be little events yep. in them. Um, uh, what else? Um, so I have been doing a fair amount of side quests, but like at some point I was like, okay, I'll put these side quests off to later and I'll just do more story. But then I filled up my side quest log. And so like, I meant like it's constantly like 17 or 18 side quests. I'm like, oh, I need to go knock off some of these side quests so I can pick up more side quests so that when I finish the game, I can go back and do them. Um, cause you know, for whatever reason, I can't let myself leave the blue exclamation part on the map. I need to pick it up. And so because I need to pick it up, I need to go clear out a couple of side quests and come back. Or like That's funny. Yeah, I, I have left the side quest B because my, my expectation is I will level some of my other characters mostly through side quests, events, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, so I kind of like I feel like you do that individually for each character, right? Like I plan on doing everything on this character. Historically, as as you know, Buddy well knows, I'm sure our hardcore viewers know, I don't really do alts. Um, uh, so, like, I might do a druid at some point. So I did Sorcerer, Rogue, and Druid in the betas uh, separately. Um, I did, like, the Sorcerer and the, the Rogue just through the intro part. And I did the Druid for, like, the server slam up to level 20. And I didn't like them as much as the Barbarian, so I went with the Barbarian. Um, but it's just, like, one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to do anything like I'm, I'm mostly going to do this guy um and the side quests are good content too right like some of them are like just kind of like go here kill this but some of them are kind of involved and some of them have like really interesting like you know decent stories um there are a couple that are like i would say like very good um 
a lot of them are kind of though like like they hit me but they're also kind of like this is diablo everything sucks in the world of diablo um and pretty predictably like i'd say it's not as bad as i expected but like seven or eight times out of ten just assume the worst outcome and that is what happened right like it's like oh, you know oh i have not seen my brother he is off to the north go check on him please and he's dead right like um or worse sometimes right like uh um but there's some yep <laughs> uh, like, um you are far enough along in Corvashad. um there is a quest that like pops up inside of the town have you did you do that one by any chance Mm-mm. i have done i did one side quest just to sort of see what it was like um it was a courier you know like there was like a courier outside of town who hadn't delivered his tithe to the cathedral or something okay. like that um and you just go there you find the guy you bring it it's that's sort of all that happens um so i have not done any other side quest besides that one okay no that makes um that that makes that makes sense i've been doing like a handful of them some of them are kind of like that um like like that courier thing i think is just kind of like a breadcrumb quest to get you to i think it's margrave um and then you pick up other quests there um and like some of them bring me to dungeons right like i have not really done a dungeon independently but there are a couple of a handful of side quests that will bring you to a dungeon to do um uh and i will get the thing funnily enough i think all the ones that are all the ones but one have been for abilities that my class can't use um because you run a dungeon and you get like an affix um uh so i've been i've been doing a mix of stuff but um it's been pretty good so far i would say um are you playing you're playing on world tier two i'm assuming yes yes yeah okay are you Mm -hmm. okay yeah Uh, i'm probably gonna swap over to tier three you know it says like when you hit level 50 swap to tier three i was like that's fine i'm down for that kind of thing Uh, and then when you're 70 plus or whatever, you go to tier four. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I'm an amazing Diablo player. Obviously, I die a lot. and I'm not playing a hardcore character. Yeah, no. um, but <coughs> I do think that, um, uh, you know, I'm probably a, a reasonably veteran player. I know how to I know how to create a build. Um some of my builds have been good. Some of my builds have been less successful um, on on Barbarian, um, but like in general, I, I just feel like you know, veteran or whatever, World Tier Two is probably the the right spot for somebody like me. I I think I agree. Um, I'm curious. Um, let's get into this nitty gritty a little bit. What kind of builds have you been running? Because for for me, I have the one that I designed from the ground up that I like a lot, but I've been basically been running builds based around the current legendaries i'm holding oh yeah so i have been running builds entirely around the legendaries and the items i'm holding right so for a long time basically if i ever got an item that said you gain plus one rank of ability i would pick up that ability you know and try and hodgepodge something together right generally speaking that has not been that hard um just because like you know most of the abilities that you end up picking up are you can kind of slot in in various different places so at first oh and it's also about the items that i get right so for instance my first legendary was a two-handed sword right and so all of a sudden i was like oh i want to use my sword I want to I want to deal slashing damage, right? Uh, the, and so I'm going to drop something like Bash that wants you to deal bludgeoning damage, um, or Frenzy that wants you to be dual wielding, right? And I'm going to pick up 
flay, I think is what it was called, right? Uh, that like puts a bleed on it. And then I did this whole like bleed build or whatever. Um, I have done, I did a, my first build was sort of a bash build. I just, that's just what I started with. I got my first rare was a hammer and I was just like, okay, cool. Now I'm just going to go hard for this hammer shit. And it's basically just, I, uh, to be honest with you, I don't sort of know what I was doing then. I didn't have a great this was like super early, right? It was basically just bash and hammer of the ancients at that time. Um, and then, but pretty quickly I picked up this bleed build, uh, that I actually liked a lot. And I probably spent most of my time with the idea with the bleed build was I was using, um, <clears throat> either it was, it was always flay, but it was either rend or whirlwind kind of depending, um, on circumstances, right? Whirlwind is obviously good for packs, Rend was good for bosses. Um, but then I gave myself like a bazillion thorns because, uh, you know, there's a passive for that in the barbarian tree. Um, and then your thorns bleed, like auto bleed people. Your flay is auto bleeding people. Um, or I'm sorry, your, your flay is giving you more thorns, which is bleeding people. You're reducing your damage intake. I And I had a legendary that was the number of people around you who are bleeding reduce your damage taken by a percentage, right? So I just kind of became this, like, fucking tank monster who could never, ever die because I was constantly surrounded by bleeding targets taking way less damage. Um, and then I had the ability Rupture, which can heal you for, you know, it activates a bleed, it heals you for a bunch kind of thing. Um, that was honestly just the most fun because it is a fun fantasy, I guess, to let people hit you a lot and they fucking die. Uh, honestly, I Break probably think, body. yes, exactly. I probably think the bleeds themselves didn't matter that much. Um, it was mostly the thorns. Like if I were to look at my damage breakdown, I probably did more damage with thorns than anything else because I basically never ever dealt damage to distant enemies. I just let them kill themselves by shoot, by shooting me. Right. Um, and, uh, Anyway, so that was probably my most successful build. That was like I I did a lot. That was the build that I used when I beat that boss. That was that was really hard. Uh, I actually kind of I tweaked a lot with my build in order to in order to get there because I really needed sustain and I really needed to lower my damage intake. And so um, I did a lot of stuff to like make that uh, make that kind of work out. Uh, but then you know I would end up doing some other stuff. Um, I did a frenzy build for a while because I got I just got too good. D dual wielding weapons uh this is maybe the worst build i did was the frenzy build just because i felt like i had no survivability i was just fucking dying constantly um and i had basically nothing keeping me you know keeping me alive um and also i did not like double slice right which is like this sweeping cone move in front of you that's like built for dual wielding um I didn't get it. It didn't connect with me. It felt like it didn't do enough damage. Frenzy also didn't feel like it, de it dealt any damage. And I just sort of didn't have... I didn't know what I was doing with that with that one. Um, and then when I hit Ultimates and Capstones, um, I got a big hammer again. And I transitioned back to a, uh, a, a stun bash build right uh where i'm using foot stomp i'm using charge um i'm using kick to stun guys into walls and stuff like that um and um the the big capstone of that one is that i took the the key talent that your core abilities do way more damage but they take way more fury or whatever right. and now i have and i have upheaval right so mostly i'm just walking around bash 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 and then i have a giant upheaval and i just woof yeah uh, i just woof them for like a billion damage that's the build that i'm running right now it's fun 
it fun. I'm having a good time. Uh, the one thing I have not done is experiment with other ultimates. I've only used Call of the Ancients, where you summon the three guys. It is my favorite thing. I like my boys. I like summoning my boys. I summon my boys a lot. They are fun. I have not done anything else. <laughs> yep. Fair, so, fair enough. So, I did a version of the Bash build for a while. So, as was something I basically did, or as I was getting up, but once I hit ultimates, I did the um, the one where you 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 like three hits with each of your weapons, and so oh sure, I really liked conceptually the weapon swapping build, right? So I I did that before I had any legendaries that like pointed me in the direction. Um, so I would like I did bash and, or so I either did the double uh, like the the frenzy into hammer of the ancients or upheaval um and then my slicing weapon on my other two skills um i really like death blow um as a skill so like that's kind oh of i yeah okay i did do death blow for a long time uh one of the things i did with my bleed build was i did death blow mm. so i would rend a whole group of guys and then just death blow death blow death blow because if you like as long as you can keep training them death blow is like really good uh but i had to drop it because it's useless on boss fights right because yeah. you never get a killing reset uh, i mean it does 100 percent extra damage if you take the passive for yeah, it that's um true. i like it enough that i keep it but like that that's a candidate to go but like so i was doing that weapon swap build for a while but then i got a hammer that does um it's if call of the ancient is on your action bar when you leap upheaval or i and i forget the th or the third one you essentially have a ch like a chance to summon <gasps> one of the dudes for like a second oh my god that sounds amazing i want yeah. that so bad so so right now i'm running um upheaval leap call of the ancients and stomp with like uh, or ground ground stomp or whatever cooldown reduction with the cooldown yeah. reduction and so it's just kind of like feeding the whirlwind like neither of these builds are particularly good against bosses just because like bosses require a different type of damage um so it's not my favorite for that but it is fun um so i, I you know funnily enough the the upheaval build i think is really good against bosses i think to be fair i would probably swap up people for maybe hammer of the ancients but maybe not the thing about um the the build with bosses is bash is insane against bosses because you get so many staggers um i fought uh, the act to uh, what should we do about spoilers? I thought the act to boss. Spoil, call it spoiler that. warning for mild spoilers for Diablo. It's Diablo. Yeah. Okay. Right? The 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 act to boss is a demon named Astroth. I fought Astroth with this upheaval build, um, and I actually just kind of fucking owned him because when you take the bash passive that stuns every fourth hit, you are just constantly building stagger on this guy. I also have kick, and I have charge, and I have. Foot stomp, which are also all abilities that stagger like opponents, right? Um, so you just get into these situations where you you down them um, and you just fucking wail on them uh, so often. Um, and the upheaval just does so much damage because you know there's the, the upheaval passive that says that you know every hit it does ten percent more damage. That's really good in groups because you can basically foot stomp auto stack yourself to ten and then upheaval a whole stunned group and they're all dead, right? Um, uh, or, actually, the better version of this is to kick one guy through a million other guys, which gives them all vulnerable, and then upheaval. Because each one of those collisions counts as a hit for uh. the sake of stacking the upheaval 30% damage buff kind of thing. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, maybe maybe I would swap that out for Hammer of the Ancients um, because I also know that you know Hammer of the Ancients is a little more localized, right? You yeah. don't get the big wide AOE, but um, so it does a it does a bunch of damage. But part of that is for upheaval. So upheaval, the way it works with the passive is I'm not taking the stacking damage passive because okay. I want to be using it super frequently because I want to be procking. Um, the ancient to show up and do his own upheaval. Oh then, yes, I see. Yeah, so I, I am trying to maximize my casts of upheaval, and so at that point, I don't want to wait for it. So um, what is your what is your keystone talent that you're taking? Um, the berserking one, but only because it's the only one that made sense, right? Like I'm doing a little bit of berserking stuff, but not a ton. Does um, death blow berserk you? Is that why? Um, death blow berserks me, and then I took one of the passes that let, makes my um my cores berserk me as well. Um, okay. Um, I wasn't running Berserk, but like, like the weapon stitching one doesn't make any sense. The increased fury one doesn't make sense if I wanted to be doing rapid cast. And I wasn't doing any bleeds, so the bleed one doesn't make any sense. Um, so I wasn't super happy with. I'm not super happy with my key passive, but it's like a point, so I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, um, yeah. The the key passives are maybe the most disappointing piece of Diablo uh, character design, um, just because they feel like they should be this capstone thing that really ties the whole build together, and they kind of don't. Uh, <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the opposite of what I would describe the WoW talent trees to be like, at least the ones that I've experienced. Right, where when you get down to the bottom of a WoW talent tree and you're getting your kind of big. You're, you get into those sections of talents, right? So for arms, you have on the left side, you have Mortal Strike. On the middle one, you have Blade Storm. On the right one, you have Execute. And you have these big, big, powerful capstone talents, right, that are, um, you know, adding a lot of value to to kind of how you're approaching, you know, any any individual situation. Um, I haven't felt that about uh, about the capstones for Barbarian. It felt like ultimates were, were sort of that, right? When I was unlocking my, um, you know, my ultimates. But yeah, I, I, I do want to try the weapon switching build. I have yet to do that, but I think it would be fun. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I would agree with you in, in, in the general case that like it is that that's like, I think the problem is that the passive, the key passives are like, they are, they're kind of static and weird and like they're, they don't like, the, the real key passives are the legendary weapon affixes, right? Like, and so mm -hmm. that that's much more controlling than the the ones in the uh, in in the tree. But like, it's not too big. Like, it, it it's just a point, so I don't feel too yeah. bad about it, right? Like, you can't even rank them up if you wanted to. Um. Uh, but yeah. Um. Do do. What did you do when you did the weapon switching build? What was that like? Um. So I would do either. Bash or Frenzy for my, um, and depend, it depended on what I had on my two, my duels, because sometimes I would bash with, um, two, um, two, with my, with my dual wield. Um, and then I would do upheaval or, uh, double slice, um, for my, for my core build. I actually liked double slice with the vulnerability, just because, like, it would be like, bash, double slice, execute. Um, and that's, like, all three of my weapons. Oh, Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um, and so that was kind of the core loop. I had Stomp there for um, uh, uh, for reducing the cooldown again. Because, like, so the, the, the weapon switching passive, uh, for those of you that don't know, is you get a damage buff. Like, a, I think it's, like, 6%. You get a smaller damage buff when you're using it. 
if you hit with your dual wield, you get a damage buff with your dual wield. If you activate all three, you get 15% on all on all of them. Um, and the the uh, ultimate, there's an ultimate that like attach, change your weapon, do three attacks, and it auto activates that passive because it's like first with your, with your bludgeon, then with your your slashing two handed, then with your dual wield. Um, and so um, the easiest for me is keeping up is keeping up the double the the dual weapons and the bludgeoning, and then um, I had charge and execute on my uh, on my my sla- two handed slashing weapon. Um, and I'm like I have been going. I had been going in and manually setting which one does which. Yeah. Um, like because like now now that I don't really care about that, I'm just having it auto assign right, which is probably slightly more effective because like I'm actively giving up DPS to activate this uh, to activate this passive um, because my weapons aren't particularly in parity. I feel like this is a build like th- that build will do better when you're closer to cap and like your weapons are closer in power level to each other, right? Like yeah, um, yeah, I feel you. Um, yeah, the interesting thing there is there, there's also the passive that says you gain fury every time you swap weapons. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting, right? Because you could do something like Frenzy, Hammer of the Ancients, Death Blow, assigning one to each of the three of them, right? And you just kind of go one, two, three, and that generates a ton of fury, right? right. Or I guess you would go one, three, two in that situation. But it generates a ton of fury. And just swapping between them, um, I feel like you could get you get a lot of stuff. But I don't know. There's something about like stack uptime that I'm not having the most fun with in, in Diablo. This is pr- kind of what got me off of the rend build uh, that I was doing. That and the dumbest thing ever, but which is that I just let guys bleed out all the time. And then I would have to run back and get the gold that they dropped which was like the least fun thing of my entire life. What I wanted to be able to do, because one of the things that's nice about the bleed build is you you slow everyone by 30%, right? So what I was used to doing was walking into these groups, having them hit me and take bleed, so they all, all the thorns give them bleed. <coughs> now they're bleeding, they're slowed by 30%, and then I slash for a rend, and I can see on their bars, right, that all of them are going to bleed yeah. out, and I want to just walk away, right? I just, I just want to leave. I know they're all going to fucking die, right? Um, but rea- in the reality, what, what actually has to happen is I have to walk back and I have to pick up all of their their gold or whatever um and then the other thing that sucked about that is i kept failing fucking like events and shit because i wasn't killing stuff fast enough. yeah um you know like that has been a you... as well right like I yeah when you it takes a little bit longer so you don't proc the mastery yeah it's one of those things where it's like it, it's kind of inefficient to deal damage to a target that is already going to bleed out from the dot that you have put on them which sort of intuitively feels bad but i need to kill stuff quickly in order to spawn new stuff in order to complete the event faster or whatever and it's like that combination of things just kind of became mildly frustrating and so when i got a good hammer i was like you know what bash build it is let's go like i'm I'm out i'm surprised you weren't using the um the the skill in the same tier as death blow that like basically rips the bleed off of them Oh, no, I was. That's Rupture. Um, I was using Rupture uh, quite a lot, but Rupture is one target. Um, So the thing that would would typically happen is I'm up against an elite or something. I... basically just flaying i'm i'm hitting guys with rend but then when the when the elite would get vulnerable um i was also using shout at that at that time as well because of some other stuff um when the when the elite would get vulnerable i would uh damage shout whatever like and then rend 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 the elite and it would be its whole health bar because the the damage increase you would get was huge um and rend on a vulnerable target, both 
elongates the vulnerability and vulnerable targets take more damage from bleed, right? It was like this whole thing. Um, so the moment I procted an, uh, a vulnerability on that on that guy, I would just like rend the shit out of him with this commanding shout, basically. Um, and then you rupture that guy and you one shot him because your whole bleed just immediately right. you just immediately do the the whole bleed. That was actually pretty satisfying, all things considered. But it's like you know you're not running into elites all the time or whatever. Um, and just the the little stuff was bothersome, I guess. No, I, um, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm kind of looking forward to, like, the, like, for me, Diablo's always, like, you know, it's like the real game starts at the end game type of stuff, right? Like, sure. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting in that area so I can, like, kind of, like, focus to build and, like, work on that kind of stuff. Some things that I learned along the way, like, I've been um, ripping legendary affixes off and imprinting, re-imprinting them, but you can only do that once. I didn't realize that you couldn't rip an imprint. Like, if you imprint a weapon, you can't rip it back off. Um, which is upsetting uh, or disappointing. Um, wait, 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 wait. So you only can do it once. The, like the codex ones, I think you can do whatever. But the like, if you're just pulling it off of a weapon, you can only put that back on once. You can't re-rip it back off. I found that out the hard way. And then once you put it back on once, you can't put it back. Like let's say I get a new weapon, I can't put it on the new weapon. No, as well. You, you, you. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that does suck. Yeah. So something that I have turned on, like, the advanced tooltips, and, like, there are different different qualities, right? Like, this, this is, like, you know, um, there's, like, a kind of, like, Pareto principle thing here where, like, you know, 80% of what you want is to have the affix, but, like, once you kind of, like, hit those upper, upper echelons of power, right? Like, like so that, um, that pass that I was telling you about, uh, that like makes uh, uh, a uh, an ancient summon if you use like the associated ability, right? That has a range I think base from like I think it's like thirty five to fifty. Um, I have one that's at forty one, but if you put it on a two handed weapon, it's it bumps it doubles, so it's like eighty two percent of summoning the guy, right? So I already reimprinted that. I will not get to bring it to my next weapon, but if I find that weapon again, it potentially comes with like a higher percentage, right? Like like you know like. If I want that to be my build, then I will be hunting for the 50% version so I can put it on my two-handed weapon. And every time I do it, I will summon the Ancient as opposed to a good chance of it happening type of deal. Okay. All right. That is that is interesting. That is not what I expected, but I, I get it. And so the Codex ones are the ones you get out of Dungeons. Is that yes. right? Yeah. I have okay, not, cool. not imprinted from a Codex, so I don't know the details around that. But Yeah. Um, I have done a bunch of dungeons because mostly just because when I run over them, I I, uh, I have hit them. But in general, my my expectation is when I do my second character, I want to level that character entirely through side quests, entirely through dungeons, entirely through renown um, or whatever else, just to sort of see what that is going to end up being like. Um, and so uh, I yeah I don't know I'm pretty excited for that that, that piece of things to that, kind of like, that is a thing you should be like I have been doing enough side quests that I get, I've gotten level two in, I got level two in Kovashad, level two in Kel, but Kel Batter, whatever the third area is. I only got to level one in the other one, but the first level gives you a skill point and the second level gives you an extra potion. Yeah, the potion. Yeah, yeah I did get, I got it in Kyovashad. Uh, I got level two in Kyovashad. I think because okay. I did that stronghold. Strongholds are okay. like a million. Um, and also, I think I did all the dungeons in Kyovashad. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I did a bunch <coughs> of side quests, so that, that's what got me yeah. level two. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, 
that's so that's that, that's huge right like that's like um and that's like universal for all your characters right like there's there are so many so, so i think this is kind of like the thing that they realized they needed to go back and like redo like like improve from diablo 3 right one of the big problems with Diablo 3, to me, at least, and I think this is widely held belief, is that, like, sets were too powerful, right? Like, yeah. you basically got your set, and that was, like, that was, like, in terms of that, like, log distribution I was telling you about, that was, mm -hmm. like, way too much of that power curve. There was way too little worth it afterwards, and, like, way too little before it, and so you, like, you got your set, and that was basically it. Um, this is, like, a thousand little things to tweak, right? Like, oh, I can get a little bit more power by, like doing these renowns, or I can find all these altars of Lilith. Now, the thing that's going to be interesting about that is that that's all finite, right? Like, at some point, I will find all of the altars of Lilith. I will clear all of the dungeons. I will get all of my areas to max rank, right? Um, I can already see from the map that there's, like, a southern part that, like, I assume in, like, a year or two, they'll release an expansion where you can go further down the continent or whatever, and you can unlock more stuff, Um but I, I, it remains to be seen to me at least how long that tail is, right? Because that's, that's I think where where the where the, where the meat is, right? Is like how much of it is it is it just like hoping for like better legendary drops, and how much of it is it like stuff that you can kind of work towards? Right? That was that was one thing that I think they did well in later D three was the mythic gems or whatever they were that you could constantly yeah the up. the uh greater rifts or whatever yeah, yeah the, it was the basic for mythic keystones yeah yeah the, the the thing like and i know that there are some things kind of in that vein towards the end but like the gems part of that was the thing that you know very concretely even if you didn't get a good drop out of the run you got you know you got levels on your gem right and that wasn't the the super most satisfying thing but it was at least a thing to work towards right it was like an incremental power increase yeah um and so I, I, it remains to be seen, I guess, because we're not there yet. How how long how well that goes? How how long that tails? Because I think that's that's gonna be where like, um, what's 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 the where the rubber meets the road, right? Like there's definitely enough normal game here for normal people to put in a normal amount of time and be satisfied with the game. Yeah. But like for the grind fiends, will there be enough grind that's satisfying enough? Right. Uh. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. This is one of the big questions in my mind about Diablo 4, because I feel like, you know, <clears throat> something I saw the other day, somebody was talking about not every game has to be games as a service, you know, and you can play a Tears of the Kingdom or, or right. you can make a Tears of the Kingdom and it's a good, solid single player experience and that's worth it. Right. And I actually sort of disagree with this take, um, partially because of where I live in, in, you know, in kind of the industry. Like in my mind, I think those sort of sorts of single player experiences have kind of been co-opted by indies, right? You have sort of created there's there's kind of a gulf that's been created between, um, shall we say, the the era of like Mass Effect and the era of now where your single player game kind of can't be a Mass Effect anymore. You need to be bigger. Your map needs to be more. You need to have more content, right? Um, and I don't think that you can release something on the scale of Mass Effect, right? A good, straightforward story, but it's a $60 experience for a 20-hour game, shall we say, right? A 20-hour RPG. I just kind of feel like that doesn't, that doesn't fly, right? You need Elden Ring, which has a map that is 
you know, how many orders of magnitude bigger than something like the Fallout 3 map, for instance, right? Um, that requires a lot more content, right? A lot more dev time. You need to pay devs for, for more years to just sort of fill that map with cool, interesting stuff for players to do. And in order to justify that cost, people turn, it gets turned into a games as a service, right? Which is sort of everything becomes an MMO, right? Um... I feel like Diablo is the post, this Diablo 4 is the poster child of that. I can see the writing on the wall that they have put so much time and effort into the content. One of the crazy things to me about Diablo 4, to be honest with you, is how closely it adheres to what I played at BlizzCon 2019, four years ago, right? Basically, all of these systems are the exact same of the systems that I that I played in that demo, right? Um, which kind of, to me, <coughs> it kind of speaks to, like, the nega, like, the, the inverse of something like Anthem, right? Anthem was a game, it struggled to find its footing, they iterated on it, iterated on it, iterated on it, and when they finally kind of committed to sort of a vision for the game, which was Diop or Destiny 2, but flying, they had 15 months to, to ship that game. Diablo 4, evidently, they committed to that vision five years ago, right? Or whenever it is they started, like, making that demo, right? Like, it's just really honestly insane to me that the game is so unchanged from what I played back then. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you can see that, yeah, it takes four years to make this much content for, uh, for kind of a game. And so whether or not Diablo um, transitions into that games as a service model where I'm, I'm incentivized to come back and do battle passes, right, um, I think is going to be sort of the big, uh, the big question. Um, that said, I think they probably have a good formula for right? Like, you, if Diablo 4 has a, let's say, let's call it a six-month battle pass, and it kind of does this Destiny 2 model. Six months is a long time. Maybe four three, months, yeah, right? Yeah, I would say you think the Destiny ones are like three months. You have a four-month You have a four month $20 battle pass, and the battle pass includes a new class or a new region or something kind of along these sorts of lines that is like not, a, not, a, not like a WoW expansion level of more content. I don't think they... I don't think I don't think that's in the cards, right? I don't think that that's what they're... Yeah, that's no, where they're looking to do. To, to your um, point, like the Destiny one is like, you know... The battle pass won't like the battle pass will have stuff on it that you can't get, but like the region will be for everyone, right? Like yeah, and, yeah. Um, um, and so that's that's what I was kind of envisioning. And I can see myself, play, you know, like I can see myself play that, right? Um, I don't know. So yeah, especially because like seasonal content is just so built into Diablo. Uh, yeah. Like leveling up a new character from scratch, having a seasonal hero, seasonal affix kind of thing. I was doing that in Diablo three, right? You know, um, honestly, to be to be honest. Something that I sort of wanted to do playing Diablo 4 was go back and play Diablo 3. <laughs> it was making me sort of like uh, like weirdly nostalgic for, for stuff in, D in Diablo 3. Because I will say, one thing that um, I think the class design is good, at least, you know, for what I've played in The Barbarian. But I do sort of miss the, the raw potential and, and variety um, of sort of the different abilities and like the different runes you have way fewer passives to work with um and so you have fewer like weird jank to pull out if that makes sense yeah. but the weird jank was kind of what made runes fun in diablo 3 yeah no i i, I agree and I, I think part of it is going to be that i am hoping that the legendary affixes will have a lot more of that infinite um and we just haven't yeah. seen a ton of them yet um 
Uh, plus, those are ones that are, like, you can easily add them, like, down the line, right? Like, um, we could get, like, a version of the cube from Diablo 3 where you can just, like, kind of, like, freeform attach affixes if you want for a couple of them, that kind of thing. Um, um, I don't know if, like, I kind of agree with your overall point, right? Like, I think Tears of the Kingdom is great, and Tears of the Kingdom has clearly, you know... Like, to your point about, like, you know, that games have to be this game as a service. Tears of the Kingdom is not a game as a service, um, and it's selling gangbusters. But maybe that's just a thing that Nintendo can do now. Um, um, well, I guess, like, God, yeah. God of War and God of War Ragnarok um, didn't really ha aren't really games as a service. They're big prestige games, and they, they sell, they're selling for a premium price. But and I would also say that the, those are all first par party. Starfield would be another good example, okay. right? Um, really the only one that's independent. It, like platform independent i think are Eld like elden ring dark souls related stuff and yeah. um you know like the jedi survivor but that that's kind of in the same sort of like vein but the jedi survivor like these are kind of the only like big single player experiences that i think um kind of tap into that um and then i think that there are a lot of flops right uh prey is a really good example do you know about arcane and prey yeah 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 because prey was supposed to like prey is supposed to be very good but i my understanding is it wasn't like the most commercially successful thing um and then red, yeah. red falls a disaster but like that's uh that's yeah and, and this is sort of emblematic of what i'm explaining right which oh, okay. is that um you know they made arcane makes dishonored they make dishonored 2 both really good games right i i bought dishonored 2 on launch i never even touched it right i i to be honest i think at the time we were doing the podcast and i said i am going to play this game um, but mostly what I want to do is I want to encourage companies to know that these kinds of experiences are important to me. I guess I'm kind of a liar because I just never ever like went into it. So you have this, you have this studio, they're, re they're really renowned. Everybody loved Dishonored. Um, it came from this era that I'm talking about, right? I think Dishonored was 2012 or something like that, right? Uh, 2011, 2012. We played that in college. Um, so it would have been right around Mass Effect 2, um, uh, Fallout New Vegas, Skyrim would have been would have been sort of uh, where where Dishonored comes out, um, and then they make Prey. Prey is 2016, I want to say. Um, rave reviews, right? Uh, basically, one of the the kind of foundational immersive sims, uh, kind of in the idea of like Deus Ex or whatever else, um, but it just kind of doesn't go anywhere, and so the studio has to pivot to. Uh, Redfall, right, uh, which is built from the ground up to be this sort of like weird janky games of service. And to be honest, nobody nobody wanted to make that game, right? Uh, Jason Schreier just put out an article where he talked about how they turned eighty percent of their studio because just nobody fucking wanted to work on this kind of bullshit title. Um, and you know, that's kind of the that's kind of like the result of uh, of where we're at. And I feel like what has and I feel like the the opposite end of this, by the way, is that indies are filling the the kind of content gap, right? Because when you opt for a twenty dollar experience that'll give you twenty solid hours of play, but it is a it is a smaller title, you're doing an indie because indie games can support that thing and they don't have the price tag, right? You know, something I've talked about before on the podcast is the nature of indie games is base hits, it's not home runs, right? Most indie games that are successful are not successful because they're Undertale, they're successful because they're cardboard kings, right? Which it's a it's a reasonable you know it's it's a reasonable game developed by two guys for a couple hundred thousand dollars compared to tens of millions of dollars right and it does not have to sell a bazillion copies in order to make money as a spell you know however many copies right fifty thousand copies let's say um and I feel like that is the that's kind of the bind that you're in if you are someone who wants to make a Mass Effect single player title, um, or uh, you know I don't know, 
you 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 have to kind of figure out how to get that in between those two spots. And I think if you're Nintendo, if you're Sony, if you're Microsoft, you can just bankroll this shit because you have a gazillion dollars and you're trying to sell consoles, right? Part of what sells God of War Ragnarok is that it sells PS5s. And so Sony kind of doesn't care. I mean, that, that's, uh, you know. but that's that's like the op, like, I, I think the Switch is profitable, but like for years and years and years and years, the Xbox and the PlayStation have not been profitable machines. They make it all in software. Like like they're, they're, like they are lost leaders for the software. Um, oh, I see what you're saying because the Xbox, it's right. But if you're if you're if you're Microsoft, you're looking to put Xboxes in people's homes, right? Oh, and so having Starfield is the thing that does that. Does I, that I see sense? what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I I think you're mostly right. Uh, or you think I think I, I get what you're saying, and I I think that like the first parties are willing to take the risk because I mean. Maybe Nintendo wouldn't, but, like, Nintendo's games are always good, and they always sell, like, gangbusters, right? Like, um, but, like, if if, Microsoft, if Xbox is not profitable, then, you know, Microsoft shuffles it around in a division inside of itself, and it doesn't matter. Um, whereas, yeah. like, Arcane can't afford to do that. Although, I guess Arcane must be owned by Microsoft now, because they were owned by Bethesda, and they got acquired. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, so maybe I guess Microsoft decided to make them make Redfall, and that was a bad idea. But you know, yeah, maybe. Well, maybe Microsoft. I I would imagine actually Microsoft just sort of inherited Redfall, right? Um, uh, I'm, I'm I bet not sure it what was, happened, but yeah, that yeah, makes me sense. neither. But I think, but I think that's actually kind of part of what I like. For instance, Square Enix is the the, the real the real people getting crunched are third party publishers, third party AAA publishers, right? Square Enix, Ubisoft, uh, EA. Yay. Right, uh, Bethesda would have been a good, would have been a good, yeah, and then Activision Blizzard. But the thing is, those those guys are now. How many times have you seen people be like, Sony should buy Square Enix? Um, yeah, and it's because and Microsoft is trying to buy Activision Blizzard, and right. yeah, Microsoft bought Bethesda, and they're trying to buy Activision Blizzard. And it's just like I feel like I feel like that's kind of uh, that's kind of the crunch that is the overall. You know, if I'm talking about like the market, like of video games as a whole, the the squeeze is being put to publishers like that right you can't make if you're square enix it is very hard i feel like to survive without final fantasy 14 right um so, not so, not that so i'm giving this, away this is a thing that i know a little bit about and i can maybe talk about it without putting sure. you at risk um because i follow people who care about this kind of stuff um is like i know that like square enix historically had like basically 14 keeps them afloat and like um, I might be confusing them with Capcom because I know Capcom's in like a similar position. They're they're another big kind of like third party AAA publisher. Is like they need things to sell like ludicrous amounts to be considered successful, right? Um, because they have to put so much money into it, and they can't. They don't have like these side businesses propping them up, or not side business. Like Xbox is a side business, right? Like PlayStation is a little bit less of a side business for Sony, but like Sony manufactures like other hardware right yeah like they're they're selling tvs right. do you know what i mean like you can you can sort of you can write down some of the losses if if a generation of playstation doesn't do well right, right. or um, if any you can't do that if you're screaming do well right like you can yeah. you can afford like as much as like we talk about like triple a games being relatively safe um i think that's mostly true of like your ubisofts and your these third-party triple a's right like and I think it's also somewhat true of the of the of the of the of the console manufacturers, but like it's less true for Microsoft and Sony because they can afford to take a risk on something that's a little bit weird because they can 
you know, because Microsoft Office 365 sells 10 billion <laughs> subscriptions a year, right? Like, um, <laughs> do, you know the, do you know the Microsoft Office tweet? The one that's like, uh, Microsoft Office is like the most successful piece of hardware of all time just because they uh they force you to pay they like they force you to pay for it it's like do you want to move an image around fuck you (laughs) (laughs) do you want to do you like uh, do you do you want to just change the formatting of your whole document eat shit (laughs) now pay me 150 dollars (laughs) bitch that's so the crazy thing i saw a headline that's like (laughs) the microsoft might pull out of the uk over this Activision deal, which I, like, yeah, you, know, I, you know what that means? That means that fucking Microsoft <laughs> is telling the United Kingdom, you don't want us to acquire Activision Blizzard? Fuck you, you don't get Microsoft Word, right? Like, <laughs> No, I, that was, when I saw that news, I was flabbergasted because, you know, like, <laughs> this is so far off the envelope for our cares. cares. It, but it's just like, imagine getting bullied by a by a company, right? Like this is like megacorp shit from like a cyberpunk game. Right. You know what I mean? You have this gigantic multinational organization, like multinational corporation that is going to bully your comp your country because you are going to upend the entire infrastructure of their economy. And it's like, and you know what I mean? It's like it's not even like the United Kingdom has like they they got destroyed by brexit right you know a 10 percent decrease in their in their like overall or um how many years have it been since brexit seven years 10 they have they've d- decreased their gdp 10 percent since since brexit they have this disastrous future because of inflation um uh, and now you're you're getting fucking pushed around the you, the schoolyard by microsoft it's just like i'm so sorry but also you brought this on yourselves um yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was waiting, at some point for some like I, it's funny because I predicted this one in a different way. Like I was waiting for a company to just like say no to like some regulation and like like try and fucking stop us, right? Like you know, obviously it's harder to do when like because like you know, you know, most large software companies don't have like a standing like PMCs or like the equivalent that would like make that enforcement work, and like none of the defense contractors are big enough to like make that work but like you know um like like but this is the thing right like you could say like hey hey orion how's it going Um, how's it going little boy how you doing you you could you could like say right like you know uh you know california fuck your privacy laws right and then like people still get it right like this already happens right saudi arabia bans like some percentage of video games because they decide it's like not halal right um and um and they get those that software like um i know that pakistan um yeah it's pakistan um has like a really big tekken scene that was like unknown up until like two years ago when like some Pakistan like a couple of pakistani players managed to make it out to a major and just like fucking wiped the floor with everyone like what the fuck happened <laughs> it's like literally people going on the hajj go buy video games and bring them back to pakistan right like um and like you know obviously the united kingdom's slightly different slightly differently positioned right but like you know microsoft like pulls out of the uk right like um i'm sure the people who need word will be able to get word or if they don't they'll move to like some other piece of software right but like the uk is like not a big enough market to like like is the is the value of business in the uk worth more than um you know acquiring activision blizzard which is i guess the, the question that uh 
that uh, that the people are asking. Lou in the chat says, um, "Open source, baby." Um, I will tell you, um, I have used Open Office. I used Office for Libre for a long time. I used LibreOffice for a long time. Uh, they are not as good, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Um, uh, I honestly, and, and also they're not productionalized enough to work in a corporate corporate environment. Um, they work for individuals, but I don't think they work for companies. Um, uh, I said Google Docs, so I should probably disclose. I work for I work for Google, but I feel like like those cloud based solutions are probably the the thing that happens, right? Like, um, yeah, um, I like G Suite's a thing already, so I'm sure, and I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of companies will be able to like move to that kind of thing. But um, anyway, Diablo. <laughs> that yeah, that is so far off of that is so far off of Diablo. So the the um I don't even remember how do we even get off on off 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 on this tangent? Because uh, we were talking, know, we, were we were just talking, talking about talking about the AAA sales model, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So to me, the 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 question for the longevity of Diablo Four is can it bridge that gap? Right? Can it become the sort of long tail games? Especially because I think one of the things about Blizzard that was interesting is that. For this huge, huge company, like this game studio, they don't actually have, compared to something like Ubisoft, for instance, right? They don't actually have the same pedigree of games, right? They don't put out multiple games a year, right? They tend to put out a smaller number of titles, um, which are, you know, like much more focused and built for this sort of games as a service model, right? Overwatch does not release as a $60, $60 bespoke you know, single player experience, it releases as a multiplayer shooter that has a long tail, essentially a games as, as, a, as a service model. And basically every game that they, that they have done, um, is sort of built with that in mind. There's like, I, I just don't think there's ever really been a quote unquote single player, um, you know, blizzard game for like 20 years, maybe going all the way back to, Diablo, even Diablo 2 had sort of like the multiplayer, it had its whole economy, it's kind of like a proto-MMO in a lot of ways, uh, do, do, but do, do, do you see what I'm saying? And so, my thing is, can Diablo 4 make the jump and kind of get into this class of, okay, here are sort of our bespoke, you know, long-tail games that are going to have a dedicated community to them, that even years on, people are going to be playing Diablo 4 in the same way that they play Hearthstone, WoW, you know, I Overwatch whatever and, and the the important part of that is playing in such a way such that they will continue to feed money to the beast right like yeah true for instance starcraft 2 it was like this they just couldn't figure out how to mon make money off of it right uh, weirdly starcraft 2 still has a player base that i am surprised is like can keep that game sort of afloat right uh one of the things i was talking about was just going back and playing starcraft 2 um and it's not like we you know like with something like Paladins or whatever, right, you're getting dead lobbies, right? You're, you're not even able to complete matchmaking because the game is so dead, right? But I can go back to StarCraft 2, which hasn't had new content in, like, four years. And the game is still healthy enough that I can find games uh, at varying skill levels kind of without without any issue whatsoever. The problem with StarCraft 2 is they couldn't figure out how to monetize it, right? They couldn't figure out how to make money off that game um, just because it wasn't built in a world where you could make, you know you could make money off of it um, in the same way that uh, you could make money off of something like WoW, right? Um, and so um, I think that's, I think that's going to be that that's, that's my, that's my pitch for the interesting question about Diablo four. 
Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> so there's a thing there too, though, right? Like, there is no inherent reason why StarCraft Two needs to like keep making money, right? Like, it doesn't need content updates, right? Like, like StarCraft One got Brood War and a couple patches, right? Like, and I'm sure there's still people playing that because people will play that game until like you know the the Earth burn, you know, until the sun explodes. Um, but uh. It just you know for Blizzard, it's just keeping the servers up, which you know I don't know I don't, I don't know how much that costs them, but like it's not I don't think it's terrible, um, but like, but like I I'm actually curious right like I wonder if StarCraft Two is is viewed by Blizzard as a success right like maybe it's not as successful as it could have been, but like did it make its money back? I'm sure it did. It sold a ton of copies, right? Like the fact that they couldn't yep. continue to monetize doesn't make it a failure. It just makes it like, you know, um, not a long tail product. Um, and I think Diablo could probably like, like Diablo three, right? Like similar situation, right? Like no, not a lot of continuing monetization, if any at all, right? Like they dropped Necromancer as like a DLC pack. And I think that's basically it. Um, yeah, they had Reaper of Souls. They did Necromancer, and that was basically that was basically it. They had plans for another expansion that got scrapped in favor of Diablo Four. Was yeah. reporting from Jason Trier. That makes that makes sense <clears throat> to me. Um, and I think there's like, I but like, if Diablo Four doesn't hang on and they just drop the battle passes, will it be a failure if they sell enough copies? Um, and or like, you know, to what degree of a failure will it be, or what degree of a success? Right, like. Um, you know, World of Warcraft has had an extremely long tail. I wonder how the, how they evaluate each expansion, right? Like, um, I don't know. Obviously enough that, like, Microsoft wants to buy them, but, like, they're also buying them as part of, like, the Call of Duty juggernaut, right? Like, the Activision juggernaut. But, I don't know. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing that I, that I uh, am excited to see is an expansion for classes. I think one of the things that is the biggest win for me in Diablo 4 is... Um, the class fantasy, if less like the overall class design, I could probably quibble with a bunch of stuff, right? You know, we've talked about builds that work, builds that don't kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but I think Barbarian, for instance, does a really good job of making you not just feel like a barbarian and like evoke that, that kind of gameplay, but do so in interesting and unique ways that aren't like pulling from other sorts of, uh, you know, like tried tried and true versions of things right the fact that as a barbarian you have three weapons equipped and you're swapping between them that's really interesting and unique right i don't know that i've ever seen another rpg do something kind of along these sorts of lines um and i think that that to me this is like one of the selling points of diablo 4 is it is innovative in the way that it approached class design at least for this one class that i've played um and that gives me a lot of hope that you know as they think about other classes right Bringing back classes from other versions of the game, right? Amazon, Witch Doctor, uh, you know, Wizard, what are, what are the Monk? Wow, I guess most of the classes from I would say like, Hunter. Witch Doctor is probably, is like a, yeah, I don't know if Witch Doctor comes back because it's kind of like shares a space with Necromancer. Um, it's like the summons thing. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, think they're they absolutely going to do like either a Paladin or a, uh, or a Crusader type, right? Like something yeah. in, that, in that vein. Um, like, um, I, but before I saw the first, the first end of the first act boss, I had assumed that that thing about the armor was a tease for like upcoming, like, like an upcoming cl character class. Yeah, and and they're very clearly going for this thing of like, 
boy Lilith is a demon. She's the daughter of Mephisto. She's real bad. But also the angel who is like against her is also but bad. Angel right? also you know, like, bad. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, to be fair, I think that this is this is fertile design for the world and story of Diablo. Um, this is one of the things that I think actually worked great about Diablo 3. Um, people people are mad about that story, but I think they're fucking losers. Diablo 3 had a really good story, and one of the things that made that story so good is the conflict between Tyrael and Imperius, right? Where Imperius is like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'll burn the shit out of Sanctuary in order to kill, you know, the primevals, right? Like, eat my ass kind of thing. Um, and that feeling definitely comes across with... Um, uh, Inarius and the Church of the Cathedral of Light in in here, especially because like in in Act Two, there's all this conflict between kind of like the homegrown druids who are like built from the ground up, right, to protect Scotland from you know evil or whatever, and the introduction of these knights penitent uh, and the cathedral um, to like keep these people safe or whatever. Like I think all of that stuff is just like it's good. It's good friction. It's really really fertile storytelling, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I, so I, I think, I would, from like, a completely neutral standpoint, I think I would agree with you. Like if if I like, but like in the context of like me having seen like this is like kind of like we talk about with Fast and Furious feels sincere, right? Like, but Angel Bad feels like enough of a trope that like. I'm kind of half rolling my eyes at it, right? I don't care that much because it's Diablo, right? Like, you know, the story is secondary to, you know, me hitting things and getting shinies. Um, but um, the kind of, like, I, I just rolled my eyes. Um, also, I think, so, um, uh, again, spoiler warning, um, at the end of the first deck, it is strongly implied that Anarius killed Rathma, um, I think the thing is going to turn out that he didn't because, like, we didn't see him kill him, and that just seems like a classic twist, right? Like, turns out someone else killed Rathma, and Inarius is being weird somewhere. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, yeah, in general, I kind of feel like we're going for sort of like a lawful, uh, evil, lawful, neutral kind of thing, where the Cathedral of Light, you know, you're, or it's not that the Cathedral of Light is bad, because, you know, obviously, demonstrably so far, it hasn't been. Donan, who is a good guy, is a member of the Cathedral of Light, and he is legitimately trying his best by bringing the Cathedral of Light to to Scotland, right? Um, but I just imagine that somewhere down the line, we're going to be fighting these Knights Penitent rather than, you know, whatever, and that's going to be part of, like, the enemy structure, right? Um, so, yeah, you know. we'll, we'll see. As, I mean, it's also kind of like everything shit right like everything is shit like yeah. this is like grim darkness type stuff right like you know the cathedral of light is okay but like so that that there is a quest in that i know you haven't done side quest and basically um there's a side quest where like people get possessed and this one member of the church is exercising people um but it, but you find out through the course of the quest that like standard church practice now is just to burn people who are possessed right um, and this woman is willing to do the things she needs to do to like exercise people. Um, and so like, it's, 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 it's kind of that, like, you know, everything is terrible, but there are small glimmers of hope inside, right? This is why, like I said, like, you know, seven or eight out of and 10 times, it's the worst version of things, but like two or three at times you get like a little hopeful sliver, right? Like you find like, the person's not dead and you rescue them, right? Like, um, which is, I think kind of like 
the kind of a whole undercurrent, right? It's like, you know, you live for the little things, you try your best, right? Like, um, yeah, it's interesting to me that this is Grim Darkness, but it's Grim Darkness in a different vein from what I would expect. Like, like Warhammer would be the good counterexample of another version of Grim Dark, but that is a different version, right? Um, one of the things about Warhammer is you're constantly sort of like tempted by chaos right and like the power that is that is offered to you by the chaos gods um but like there's this thing the 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 core of diablo being you're just little ants you know in between this war between two gargantuan you know titans right um that's that's like a uh and and especially all of the there's just some way the aesthetic of diablo with kind of these like run down churches and cathedrals or whatever um that speaks to me on a different level which i think is actually kind of interesting one of the things about grimdark that everybody complains about is they always say grimdark it's just like oh it's just one, it's just like this one thing but i actually think diablo and warhammer are two very different sort of slices of of grimdark um in the same way that you can have kind of uh contrasting versions of sort of noble stories right um I don't know, and I think that's neat. I think I'm I am on board for it, and I like it quite a lot. But again, I also liked it in Diablo three. People hated it in Diablo three. I would argue they're wrong, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how the story goes too. Like part of this too <clears throat> is also like it feels weird because it, it occurs to me like as I'm playing and you know now is that like you know it kind of implied that like everything's shit right now, but it wasn't always that shit, right? Like you know that there were good times at some point. You just are always in the action when things are the worst, like the worst, they, you know, you know, at a local minima, I guess is the right way to put it. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, I'm, I'm actually interested in seeing how the story plays out because it's interesting. And I, I find the lore, I do find the lore fascinating, right? Like, you know, you know, Anarius fucked Lilith and they made Sanctuary and uh, both of them can't go home and they're really pissed about it. So... <laughs> mommy and daddy are fighting <laughs> yeah. right i mean they, they keep calling lilith mom right like that's like a, a thing um mother and then father and arius right like which is like literally true in some ways um then we'll see We'll see. Yeah, it's funny. I it makes me want to learn more about Diablo lore, which I do know a reasonable amount uh, about. Um, but like, I know that they made a book. They have like the Book of Cain or whatever, which like explains all of the lore. I never read that, but I'm like, maybe I'm maybe I'm gonna go read the Book of Cain. Yeah. One one of the things I'm interested in seeing actually is um, how sort of the primevals filter into things. Because like I said, we're only at, we're only at Act Two, but I feel like the headline of Diablo is always going to be Diablo, right? Um, or Asmodan or Mephisto, right? Um, and I guess, like, maybe Lilith is enough to sort of, like, carry things on her own. She's obviously been enough so far. Um, but how, how much longer can we live in a world of Diablo without touching on Tyrael, <coughs> Diablo, Imperius, right? Some of the, some of the characters who have been <clears throat> sort of, uh, I don't know, defined over the years. Yeah, so um, you wouldn't know this because uh, you don't set the titles by it. But I titled this this uh, stream Diablo. This time it's a woman, because um, like my, my kind of like top level impression of this game from the beta was like you know that meme that's like um, drones drone striking uh, civilians in like the Middle East, and it's like they say next time they'll be sent by a woman. It's like how inspiring, right? Like it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
um, so like that that's kind of like my 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 feeling about it. it's like yes you know the Diablo this time but you know it's the thing I am afraid of and I don't think they're going to do it is they're somehow going to make it so like Lilith was actually right like you know Lilith did nothing wrong which um, I don't think they're going to do because like they, they, she is way too evil for like that to be the thing but like yeah um, you know that's why I think they're going with like everything sucks because like Anarius is also not great but it's not like like Lilith is there will be people on the internet that will say Lilith did nothing wrong. In the same way that people say Thanos did nothing wrong. Like, people who, like, fundamentally misunderstand that, like, vaguely sympathetic portrayals of people doesn't mean that, like, you know, they're they're absolutely correct. That means that they have, like, you know, they're not, they're just not always wrong. No, I did see a, I did see a take like this, and it made me, like, <laughs> um, God, hold on. So far in Diablo, Lilith just seems like a good, uh, in parentheses, powerful, angry, protective mom, and an area seems like a giant tool. I strongly suspect this story is more heaven and hell are both what we make of them, uh, though hell is a bit worse than Gur angry, righteous fight against evil, which I, I agree with that second part. That's fair enough. But the first part, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, no, I mean, like, they make it pretty clear from, like, moment one that, like, bad news, right? Like, like, like that that opening scene kind of sets sets the stakes as like things are not great, right? Like, um, but yeah, yeah, I liked the opening scene quite a lot. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I thought I thought it was fun. It was one of those things where I was like, oh no, I know exactly where this is going. Uh, <laughs> when when they like offer you that drink or whatever, um, do you have to replay that opening every yes. time you started a character? Or, do you know? So I haven't played a second character, but like I've played it for. One, two, three. I played it four times now because I played it two times in the first beta, one time in the in the second beta, and uh, uh, Lou in the chat says, "Yes, my God, yes." Um, oh I my have God. skipped them. I like you can skip that. most. Of, you can skip most of the dialogue, right? Like it's not a huge deal. The thing, the thing that aggravates me the most about that is having to walk back to get the waypoint, um, and not being able, like you know, you have to like get the waypoint and kill Vashad before you can walk back and get the waypoint in uh in that starting town. Although. My hope is that those waypoints, once you get to that first town, are all unlocked for all your characters. Um, so that will probably be less a pain in the ass. Um, obviously, between the betas, everything resets, so you couldn't carry that forward. But um. you know, fair enough. Um, anyway, uh, I guess that's I guess that's it. I'm going to be playing a lot of Diablo. We sort of ate up all of our time talking about this. Yeah. Uh, but you have ten. You know what? What? What else have you been doing this week? Uh, two weeks since we took. Uh, oh my God! True, yeah, Memorial Day off um, unexpectedly. So uh, things that I did that are worth mentioning. Um, uh, I built a planter out of wood um, in real life. <laughs> um, uh, I learned some lessons about that, but I doubt that anybody here cares about that. Um, Measure twice, cut once, Mango. That's what they say. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I, so the valuable lesson I learned is to not screw boards into end grain because like I screw like I the first so I, I have these like four by fours that are the corner posts and the first way I did it is I made them short and I put two by sixes on top of them and I'm just gonna build the superstructure on top of that and the two by sixes on top of the four short posts immediately tore out so um, now I just made the two the four by fours tall and I blew the, just 
screwed the board straight into the corners, and so I lost a little bit of interior space, but it's fine. It works. It's super fucking heavy. I could probably kill someone with it if I dropped it on them, but that was fun. But the more relevant news... Oh, very relevant, very good. Um, I finished the three-body problem um, by... I cannot pronounce the guy's name. It's like Shikshin Lu or something like that. Um, very, very good. I highly recommend it. Um, very kind of cool, hard-ish science fiction. Um that I would recommend to everybody. Um, uh, it opens with the uh, Cultural Revolution in China, um, and like the um, one of the main characters' father is getting like Mao Mao, literally Mao Mao'd, and like beaten to death. Um, so yeah, um, uh, uh, and it's got like really cool science fiction stuff in it too. Um, so I'd highly recommend that. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, uh, but I would highly recommend it. The other big thing is, like I was saying earlier, I played a bunch of Street Fighter Six. Street Fighter Six is fucking great. Um, I played a little bit of the World Tour, which um, people are saying is good good single-player content. Um, uh, if you want to try it at some point, buddy, modern controls mean that you don't have to, like, learn all the, the hard combos, right? Like, um, and apparently it's, like, viable, right? Like, it's like, it's going to be tournament legal, and, like, there is active discussion about if modern controls are going to take too much away from you for, for you to be practically viable in a tournament. Um, and it seems like the answer is it will be. So, um, and not that you care about that level of it, but like it being viable in the pro scene, meaning kind of like, you know, in the same way that like, you know, people care too much about the pro meta in like league, people care too much about the pro meta in, uh, in Street Fighter, right? In fighting games. But like it being viable at that level means it'll filter down. Um, uh, but it's very good. Um, you know, I've been enjoying myself. Uh, the mechanics are super fun. I've been throwing people at Zangief, getting my spinning pile drivers off. Um, I'm probably going to play that after this because I played, otherwise I played Diablo today and I want to play, I want to get more sets in um, as my boy Zangief with his spinning pile drivers. But uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I hit Diamond in, um, uh, in Marvel Snap. That season ends tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, that's basically all the big things I've done. Buddy, how's your two weeks been? Honestly, I have been playing a lot of Hearthstone, which I'm very proud of. Um, I, like, all the WoW stuff is normal, but, like, Hearthstone, boy. I have maybe, this is the best I've ever played in, in, in Hearthstone. So, last season, in Rage Warrior popped off right but that was a deck i pulled from somewhere right somebody on the on the competitive hearthstone subreddit shared a desk with and he was like i actually kind of think enrage warrior is the nuts give it a shot turns out enrage warrior was the nuts i was part of this wave of people who adopted that deck it's now the top of tier two it's a really really strong deck with really favorable matchups people are looking to counter it more often um which is whatever but the thing I wanted to do was I wanted to make another version of Enrage Warrior work, and a mini set came out, right? And in the mini set, there were a couple of cards that I was like, oh, I think this is perfect. So I have been playing Control Warrior. Um, and Control Warrior has two cards in it that are really interesting and a lot of fun. Number one is Black Rock and Roll. Um, it's a five-mana spell that says every minion in your deck gains stats equal to its cost, right? And then there's Lorthamartharon, which is a seven-mana 7-7, seven, seven, comes into play. He doubles the stats of all minions in your deck, right? Now, the, I the, uh, the ideal scenario is you Black Rock on five, Lorthamar on seven, and just every minion you play from there is a fucking monster, right? But th the, w the amount that that actually happens is honestly pretty rare right like that's not it's not a very common thing but 
BlackRock and Roll is the perfect version of like a control warrior win condition, right? Where it's, hey, I'm going to survive the early turns. I'm going to do a bunch of setup. I'm going to kind of control the board or whatever. And then I'm going to turn my entire deck into these fucking insane bombs, right? And I'm just going to smack them onto the board again and again. And eventually you're going to stop being able to execute my 35-35 and it's going to hit you in the face for 35 fucking damage and I'm going to win, right? Even better, actually. <coughs> in some versions of the deck... Uh, so, in my version of the deck, there's a card called Trench Stalker, which when it comes into play, it attacks three random enemies. Um, Trench Stalker is a 9-mana 8-9, so when you black rock and roll it, it becomes a 17-18 in stats. Um, when you when you Lorthamar that, it becomes a 34-36 in stats. Um, and so many of my games are just won because I black rock and roll and I draw a Trench Stalker and I just slam that thing and I hit the opponent in the face for, for whatever, 16-34 damage. Um, and, you, and you just like win off of that. But there's a lot of other pieces of that puzzle um, that players have been playing around with, right? most notable one is the Rift Package. So the general idea for this is there is a card called Naga Giant. Naga Giant is a 20-mana 8-8, right? It's like any of these giants, but it is reduced in cost for every one mana of spell you cast, right? Um, and the Rift Package is a group of six spells that when you empty your mana to play them, right? So if it's a five-mana spell, you spend five mana, and then at the end of that you have zero mana, it's called Finale. You replay the last riff you played. Um, and these are, the, the package is pretty good. Uh, there's one that gives you two attack, but it's one mana. So it's the kind of thing where you use that to trigger the other riffs. There's another riff that draws a card, gives it plus three, plus three, draws a minion rather, gives it plus three, plus three. Um, and then the best one is called Bridge Riff. It's a five mana, it summons a three, four with Taunt, a four, three with Rush. Um, and generally what you want to do is you throw a Bridge Riff and then you Finale one of the other riffs so that you do one mana gain two three fours or four threes right you gain a bunch of stats on the board um that's a pretty big that's a pretty big tempo swing my expectation was that this package was was bad for black rock and roll for the simple reason of lets you run you run fewer minions right if you're dedicating six of your spell slots to these these minions um you are, or six of your deck slots to these minions, you are definitely running less minions to benefit from the Black Rock and Roll. Even if Naga Giant gaining plus 20 plus 20 is pretty fucking funny. And I have won games by playing a zero mana 28-28 and untapping with it and just going face for like a bazillion damage. That's really fun or whatever. So what I did was I cut a bunch of cards and I added the weapon package to that deck. Um, the weapon package being a couple of weapons um, that allow you to control the early game because one of the big weaknesses of that deck was kind of what do you do on turn two, turn three, right? The answer for me is you play Hook Fist, right? Uh, you know, it's this pirate. When when you attack with a weapon, you gain four armor, you draw a card, right? You basically get to cast Shieldbok for free. That's pretty great. Um, you play these weapons that allow you to, to, to pick off enemy aggressive minions to put chip damage on enemy control decks or whatever. Um, and then the payoff is there's a new card that is a seven mana, four, seven with lifesteal. And um, it reduces in cost for each 
time you play a weapon that game, right? Um, and so basically, this is my like replacement for Naga Giants, and I've made it all the way up to Diamond with this deck. It has a pretty nuts win rate. Uh, the win rate is like 66%. I think I've played 30 games of the deck. I'm 21 and 11 or something like that, and it's 32 games of the deck. Um, and we're gonna see if I can ride this baby to Legend. Uh, it would be the first. I this this would be like the pinnacle of being a Hearthstone player. I feel like if I can get to Legend with an off-meta deck that I built my self that would be the greatest achievement i could possibly i could possibly get um it's honestly funny how much value you gain over the course of a game because people don't know what to expect from your deck they they, they don't understand what your game plan is playing these weapons and then having people be like what the fuck are they doing like who who runs abyssal basis right which is this demon that that has like lifesteal or whatever um but the, the amount of times that that's just like hard won me the game because I'm playing a huge Abyssal Basis. He has 11 attack. He's life steals all of the health I lost in the early game back. And it's just like that they don't have a, they, they don't have a way to deal with that. Um, is pretty, is it's, I don't know. It's pretty satisfying. I've had some incredible wins with it too. Uh, but I won't go into the details. We won't do a play by play. Uh, because boy, this deck can absolutely scam games from people where it's just like, I am going to lose, and then I draw my Trench Stalker, and it deals 16 to their face, and, oh, never mind, I I shouldn't have won that, but I totally did, right? One of the things about Trench Stalker that's funny is he, only, he attacks three enemies, so yesterday I was playing this, for instance, I was playing against a Paladin, Paladin had me at, like, four life, actually, that's not true, Paladin literally had me at one HP, okay, um, because I had barely survived, he had, a whole, he had a full board of seven minions. All of these minions are huge, right? Um, and he was at... I just chipped him down with a bunch of weapon damage. He was at like 15 health or something like that. And I drew, and I was like, okay, well, my out is to draw one Trench Stalker. It's one out of 15 cards. And then to have that Trench Stalker hit not three minions, but hit the opponent's face. And I played the Trench Stalker. And out of eight targets it could have chose, it went straight for his face, which was very satisfying. Because it's like, yeah, I didn't deserve that win. But get, get, get ranked, buddy. Like, Pure skill. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, to be fair, there aren't, like, there, it, it is a very skill-testing deck because you have to know the limits of when you can, Black Rock and Roll is a terrible card for tempo, obviously, right? It is five mana do nothing, right? Which is just like, and there are some times where I sit there and I go, I don't win this game unless I basically pass turn five, right? Um, but, uh, and there are times where I basically pass turn five and I just get run over. Cause it's like, you know what? Five mana do nothing is not good enough. And they fucking just owned, owned me. Right. That's, that's, that's fine. Um, but boy, it's just, it is so dumb to be able to, you know, pull to top deck something and just go hard face for like this insane amount of damage. Yeah. <sighs> sounds, yeah. sounds satisfying. Actually, the most satisfying thing that has ever happened is I was playing against a thief priest who obviously should have won. He was steal. I black rock and rolled. He did Lorthamartharon twice, so he stole two of my Lorthamartharons, um, and all of his deck was quadruple in stats. And he was playing the most massive fucking minions of all time, including a uh, a thirty-two, thirty-two, like a thirty-two something. 
trench stalker and he 32'd me to the face. I took 32 damage to the dome. And then I drew my own trench stalker, which was a 34-36. And I hit him for 34 to kill him, which was probably the best win I've ever had with this deck. Very cool. Um, anyway, in, so yeah, that's in, what I've been up to. In the chat, Lou says, Nerf Kim and JP and Luke and Sim and Geef and Marissa and basically half the cast forgot DJ <laughs> and Cammy. Lou, are you playing Street Fighter? Are you playing Street Fighter 6? I know she's not playing. We talked about Diablo 4. She's not playing Diablo 4 because playing the opening every time is boring. Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm watching from afar. Okay, I was like, are you, like, just playing, like, Ken and Ryu? Because <laughs> that's, like, the only people that are on that list. Um, oh, DreamHack had a tournament. Okay, that makes sense. Um, uh, I guess, you know, Guile is the standard, like, oh, he's really scary, especially with modern controls, because, like, you can get up Sonic Booms easier. Because, um, uh, like, uh, part of the... Um, Part of like part of the balance for Sonic Boom is that you have to hold back to charge and press forward, and so un unlocking that, and making it essentially like a Smash Brothers move, um, people were really scared of that. Um, I am not good enough to be playing super high skill players, so I'm not a uh, I'm not super um, into it. Like I'm, I'm not I can't give a super opinion uh, super high level opinion, but I've been enjoying Geef. I get my throws. Um, uh, report from the tournament. Punk and Leffen are feuding. Leffen's always kind of like... Leffen, I believe, has kind of got like a heel personality. HMS is delight. That's it. That's all I've got. That's fine. Right? Like, everybody's going to cheer for Ryu. Um, but, like, they've already announced the first season of the characters, which is like Akuma and Rashid and, like, two new characters. So, um, I'm excited for all of it. I want to learn JP. Not a single Ryu in the top eight. Interesting. Um, very, I have to believe that that's like, people don't know the game yet. Right. So there was a big controversy. Um, people hacked the beta so they could keep playing after, after. Oh, I heard about this. Um, and so there was like, basically if they caught you, you were not allowed to enter a tournament for like the amount of time that you got, like that you had, uh, like the amount of time from launch that you had been able to play the game. But like, I have to imagine that like the... No Ryu in the top eight is like people know how Ryu plays because he plays not the exact same, but like basically the same as he has played for like, you know, 30 fucking years. Um, and like these new characters are kind of like catching people off guards. Latch match was Kim and Kami, DJ Geef Kim. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I know Kim's supposed to be pretty powerful. Geef. Look, I'm a Geef player. I love my grapplers. But historically, um, Geef will, like, do well super early on, and then people will figure out how to deal with him, and he will cease to be a threat, at least at high levels of play. Um, uh, do people ever talk about refinement in, the, in like, the meta of these, of these games? What do, you, what do you mean? So something that happens in Hearthstone that's pretty interesting is decks become solved. Right. So, for instance, on the new uh, on the new mini set release, um, people didn't really know what to do. But one deck picked up a card and was like, "Oh, I can use this to close games." Six mana, three, uh, six mana, three four weapon that gives you wind fury. Um, and Paladin has some stuff that buffs your buffs their attack for cheap. And so basically, they're using this wind fury weapon to dome you for twelve. Right. You know, get it's aggressive. Get your chip damage in, and then this is now the big finisher to that deck. Is this is this like weapon, right? Um, whereas something like Enrage Warrior, that meta was the same 
for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? Uh, with basically no real changes. And it just it, it just took someone sitting down and kind of refining the, the Enraged Warrior decklist uh, to realize, oh, there's actually a tier one deck, tier two deck maybe, right? That's been hiding underneath the meta for, the, for a long time, right? Um, it just took someone a couple of weeks in order to figure out it was there, right? And so, on one hand, you have decks that become solved very quickly. Um, Pure Paladin is the is the version of this, right? Where it's like, oh, here's this weapon. It's a really good finisher. Uh, two or three days after the launch of the mini set, we have figured out that this is the this is the way you add cards to the mini set and what it's going to do. Uh, and on the other end, you have decks that are hiding underneath the meta for a long time. Nobody has really figured them out until it kind of explodes from the back end. Does that kind of refinement ever happen in like FGC stuff, right? Yes. So not in the same way, right? Like obviously there's not as much meta. Like with patches, the meta shifts around. Um, but like people figure out like the tech on characters um, this happens a little bit less in the modern era because, like, the information is more accessible, right? Like, very famously, um, like, Smash Brothers Melee um, kind of, like, gets revolutionized by tech every once in a while that somebody figures out. Um, but things are a lot more, a um, lot, lot less opaque in, in kind of modern fighting games. So, like, um, the next few weeks will be people figuring out how to deal with different people's toolkits, what the good responses are, and then a big part of it is, of course, execution, right? That's something that a card game doesn't have. It's like people getting better enough at execution, getting better at reactions, being able to hit, like... Um, like, that's, that's the big thing about fighting games, right? Is, like, at any time, you can lose a round because you f you fuck up, right? Like, you drop your combo. Um, and, and, like, you know, whether you go for, like, the theoretical max damage combo or you go for an easier-to-execute combo at the mom in the moment is, like, a big kind of thing, right? Um... And so there are it, – it happens, I think, at less of a scale than you're describing, right? It's not like, you know, there's some hidden piece of text somewhere that somebody's, like, not going to, going to find. Um, at least not, like, again, with modern games, right? Like, um, those types of things historically happen with kind of, like, un, unintended interactions um, that kind of um, – that, like, people discover and, like, use to their advantage. Um, this is kind of like what you see with like speed running, right? Like, you know, like, you know how like you watch a summoning salt video and they'll be like, and then they drop the minute because someone discovered like, you know, hoozy boozy tech, right? And like, you know, you jump backwards through a door and you like get launched into space or whatever, right? Like that type of thing used to happen. <coughs> it doesn't happen so much anymore. And if it does, it kind of get tends to get patched out just because like, um, there's like, um, there's a concern about like the competitiveness of the, of the, of the scene, um, but there is there is kind of there there is a long period of like figuring out how everything works, figuring out how things go together. Um, it's just less dramatic and it's less accessible to your average gamer, right? Like I'm not going to be executing on a lot of the high level combos. I can barely execute some of the basic level combos. That's part of why I play grapplers is they're not particularly combo heavy. Um, uh, but uh, people who play very well will be figuring those things out. Um, uh, yeah, which is, Lou says, which is why calls for nerfs on days one are hilarious. There's still so much to figure out. That is absolutely true. Um, yeah. No, I mean, that is a, that is the thing that happens in Hearthstone, right? Is you'll have the, essentially the solved decks. Um, you know, people talk about the perfect 30, right? Uh, th like a 30-card deck list. So the sol what, what happens when, when nerfs are too quick is the, it 
punishes the solved decks, right? Yeah. When the reality is the meta just hasn't congealed enough because people have been experimenting with other decks. And once other decks start getting refined, what tends to happen is the solved decks just drop out from the meta completely because they get nerfed on day one uh, because they got solved on day one. Um, and once other, start once other decks start getting solved and we understand what the perfect 30 becomes, um, those things just like absolutely dumpster them. And it's a, it's a pretty bad phenomenon uh, that, that has kind of ruin ruin things I don't know, it's it's tough i don't want to i'm not trying to be too hard on like hearthstone specifically or whatever right there are some decks that have really unintended interactions that are way too easy to just like absolutely dumpster people with um and those should be nerfed on on day one but the difference between that and just kind of like going after a fair deck but it is solved um versus in, in an environment where everyone is playing bad shit because nobody knows what the new meta is like uh you know i don't know it's tough yeah, so that, that makes sense. Lula in the chat says, the only thing I noticed was that they might want to adjust the damage reduction after a perfect parry. It feels really unsatisfying at current levels. I can see that. So, um, buddy, for your benefit, um, right now, perfect parrying gets you a free co Like, if you time the parry perfectly, you get a, a combo off of it, but it gets uh, combo scaling. Um, I don't, I'm not sure of the specifics of it, but essentially, um, uh, as the combo goes on, you're each iterative attack does less damage is to keep like essentially from you being blown out by a, like a single touch of death. Um, uh, the perfect parry um, introduces a level of combo scaling from the start of the combo. Um, and uh, yeah. And so Lou, the chat says perfect feels bad when perfect parries aren't easy. That is absolutely true. Um, and also kind of like antithetical to some of the stuff that like, like the most famous street fighter moment is probably it's called like evil moment 37 or something like that. Oh, where he, where he parries every one of Chun-Li's kicks yeah. at one health. Yeah. yeah. And so like getting a, get it doing really well off of a, off of a perfect parry should feel like, um, an achievement. Um, and I don't quite know why they decided to, to do that drop off, maybe just to keep newer players from getting like styled on by, by like better players. But We'll see. Um, I could see them easing off of it a little bit, but I think damage reduction is is so that, like, to, to keep kind of, like... Because the thing you don't want is a perfect parry to turn into, like, a touch of death, right? Like, um, other... Because, like, that encourages kind of, like, a very defensive play where, like, you're not really going for attacks because a single perfect parry ends your game, and ends the round. Um, and so I see why they did that, but I think I agree with Lou that, like, it, it feels bad. Um, I don't know really really know how you solve that. Um, maybe introduce a, a uh, um, so Street Fighter Three had a red parry, which is like an even harder to hit timing, but it like did better. Maybe you could introduce something like that, but we'll see. We'll see. I still think the game's super fun, and I think it's got a lot of legs. So I'm gonna keep playing. I'm gonna keep. Okay, we're stuff. super out of time, but I do just want to ask, what do you think about this Apple Pro thing? Oh, the ski goggles. Today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my my reaction was all of the neck pain of the Oculus with all of the social stigma of the Google Glass. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, that's that's pretty And it's $3500, right? Like so if the pitch if 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 they it's as smooth as they're saying it is, right? And it's so this was always the thing that I thought virtual reality would be good for, right? Like instead of having three screens, right? Like I have one virtual reality of goggles and as many desktop, you know, as many virtual screens as I want, 
right? Mm-hmm. If they can pull that off, maybe, right? Like, um, otherwise, I don't, I don't know. Also, like, as weird as it's gonna sound, I don't know if like Max the right system for this, right? Like, sure, it's neat, but like, why? Like, who is this for? Right? Like, do, like, graphic designers need, like, 72 monitors? Like, when, like I can buy three monitors for much less than $3,500, right? Like, um, if, if it costs, like, the same price as my monitor, I would replace it, you know, no, no, the, you know, without, without a second thought. But, like, I just don't see the use case and maybe i'm wrong right like you know apple does makes good tech right like um i just don't see the use case um but you know we'll see we'll see we'll see okay cool well do you have do you have a thought that's uh my thought is it looks so fucking dumb and i just want to like bully everyone who wears them because they look like the the, the, the dumbest nerds. I don't know. It just every picture of it looks fucking so stupid. I can't take it seriously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know. There. So um, the guy who was the press dude from like, there is a guy who I think was like the press secretary for President Nixon. Like runs the Richard Nixon Twitter account. Obviously, it's like not real because Richard Nixon's dead. But um. He he tweeted today is like, if if Steve Jobs was alive, he'd have like hangings in the middle of San Francisco until it was fixed. <laughs> wow, damn. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, this is somebody said that this is going to define Tim Cook's legacy. Like, if, like, like if it lives or fails, and I think that might be right. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Wow, that is a bit. Yeah, that's a big call. I don't know. It's tough. It's like. We don't appreciate how much the iPhone truly changed the world, right? Like, I think, looking back now, I think it is real to say that the iPhone and, you know, like, adjacent smartphone technology is, like, a paradigm shift that we are still un- unprepared for the consequences for, right? Like, the history in a 100 years is going to talk about the release of the iPhone the same way that, like, in history classes today, we talk about... I don't know. The printing press, industrial. the white bulb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, there is, there's not a world where I see this stupid <laughs> goggles thing being uh, being talked about. Right. In a, in a hundred years, I just I don't know. It seems like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so, so uh, this 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 dream is for adults. But uh, about the iPhone thing, I recently listened to a podcast that described. Um, like the post smartphone world as like we are instagooning ourselves. Um, cause, <laughs> so like with the idea being that like, um, you know, even when we're like with friends, we pull out our phones and like, like, like get a hit of dopamine on Twitter or whatever. Right. Like, yep. and that's the equivalent of like gooning ourselves to death. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to define gooning for the chat. I feel like it has to be defined, though. You know what? Whatever. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Actually, is my recommendation. Don't. Do it, not. Do not on a work computer. Do not in front of anybody <laughs> who you care about judging you. I will 
Lucius terms say it has something to do with it, it is a pornographic term, like literally pornographic. Yeah. So, um, insta gooning ourselves. Wow, yeah. that is a bleak. That's a bleak worldview. But I get it. I definitely get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've run way over. But you know, yeah. um, there you go, Diablo form and yeah. thoughts on like every everything in between. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to email us with your thoughts on what we talked about on this podcast, email us at zeroesforgames at gmail.com or podcast.zeroesforgames.com. Um, you can f- watch the twitch.tv slash at some dirtsplay games or youtube.com slash at no, I think it's twitch.com slash dirtsplay games or youtube.com at some dirtsplay games where these go out live. Um, uh, we've got uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, all the good places. We have a Patreon. All the links in the description. Um, that's everything I've got. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? I have nothing that I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, I'll say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>